0: every team, every topic, everywhere this is believe.
1: Oh, Pater, Pater. Hi everyone. I'm Tom Hannafin and welcome to Pater, a Penn State football show. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, Funk Brewing, the official craft beer partner of Pater. Now, we're big fans of Funk Citrus IPA and Silent Disco IPA, but this month, also check out the Funk Pumpkin Ale. Yes, it's fall in summer. And also, keep an eye out for the Lucent Realms Nordic IPA. It only comes out once a year, and it's available as of the last week of July. You can find a variety of Funk Brewing beers at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Also, Pay Dirt is brought to you by our partners at BetOnline, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. And with NFL training camp right around the corner, BetOnline has opened up odds for team wins, division futures, and of course, the Super Bowl. Head to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome Bonus on your first deposit, and use our promo code Believe—that's B L E A V—to get the bonus and get into the action. Paydirt is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. And we encourage all of you to head to shop.believe.com—that's shop.bleav.com—and search Paydirt for our two t-shirts. One has the official Paydirt logo on the chest, right over the heart. It comes in white, navy blue, and black. And the other has the official Pater wordmark over the heart and on the back very reminiscent of the 2012 Penn State football team it's got Matt McGloin's name and number as we are about to honor the 10-year anniversary especially of that 2012 team again head to shop.believe.com that's shopb and search Pater for both our t-shirts Thank you all for joining us on this bonus episode of Pater, a Penn State football show. I'm Tom Hannafin and I am joined by Jeff Attenella. Currently is the head of brand development for Smack Apparel, which has some fantastic t-shirts and products that we're going to get into in a moment. But he is also a lifelong Penn State football fan, Penn State fan altogether. So this is very appropriate, Jeff, and that this episode is all about what it means to be a Penn State football fan. However, your resume is like super diverse. We've got the t-shirt company, we've got your love for Penn State, but you're a South Florida and Tampa guy, went to USF, you're a former MLS goalkeeper where you had a lot of success, and you also have dabbled a little bit as a sports media personality with like ESPN, NHL Network, and even locally in Tampa. So you're you're kind of tough to summarize. I
0: like it that way though; keeps people guessing.
1: <laughs> so walk me through like your how did you get connected with Penn State? What's the connection there?
0: So Penn State, it was funny because my dad, my dad swears that he never really like pushed me towards it, but that's where my dad went to school. So my family all grew up in Pennsylvania. My dad went to Penn State. My uncle went to Penn State. And just for as long as I can remember, watching football, Penn State was like the only thing I cared about. Penn State was my college team. It's who I root for, rooted for. I had the, you know, back when wallpaper was cool. I had the Penn State wallpaper donning my room up until you know I left for college and it's just always been in my blood. Like Penn State football has just always been the thing that I cheer for. And, you know, I, my dad swears he didn't, he didn't ingrain it in my head as a baby, but he must have because that's the only thing I remember.
1: So my mom would play the Penn State Blue Band in the house, like on, on a tape, you know, once upon a time when tape decks existed. So we got indoctrinated very early. Was that going on in your house?
0: not as much like i really like i really don't have any early memories of my dad truly sitting there and brainwashing me my early me- my earliest memory is we were supposed to go to the capital one bowl they were playing i forget who they were playing i think it was kentucky back in the 90s and we were supposed to go and that was going to be my first penn state football game but it just like did what it did in florida and rained the entire time and i just complained that we weren't going and that's my early earliest memory of like actually being a penn state fan and being disappointed, which is which is kind of a Penn State Penn State been a theme lately. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, <laughs>
0: so that was my first. That was my first introduction to it, and the first thing that I really remember. But you know, it's just been it's just been the team that I've cheered for for my entire life, and you know, there's no signs of that slowing down.
1: We were talking about this uh, the other day via text message. Is that um, so you're, you're playing uh, soccer at the University of South Florida. But your coaching staff was very aware that if Penn State ever came calling, you were gone. Um, yeah. Did you ever look into going to Penn State or was there any recruitment by Penn State soccer?
0: I went to so I went to a couple camps when I was like in middle school. So probably a little bit early to be getting thrown on people's radars. But it was tough back then. the The landscape of soccer and the landscape of you know getting scouted was very different. So I never got any calls from Penn State. But it was very well known that you know I was a bo- very vocal Penn State supporter. There was one time during the recruiting process that Penn State played USF in in football, and I was very vocally cheering for Penn State. And the coaches just kind of knew that you know if this guy's going to come, he's going to be a Penn State fan. He's going to be vocal about it. And I think it was a pretty good understanding that. Had the situation occurred where Penn State came in in the last minute, there was just no chance that they were going to get me to go to USF. But, you know, the coaches were always pretty cool about it. And had the transfer portal been a thing and, you know, it, was, it would have been easy to transfer schools, things might have gone a little bit differently for me. But, you know, I was excited about my time at USF, but it was definitely well aware that I was cheering for Penn State football no matter what was going on. <laughs>
1: Now, it worked out because you're a Tampa guy. You're a big Tampa Bay Lightning fan, especially. Congratulations on uh, another win. Everything's been going really great. Or no, did they win? The- they, lost. The- they lost. They lost. The they lost Stanley the- Stanley. Oh, they lost the Stanley Cup. Shows That's me how right. much. We got two, though. We got two, though. Right. And we
0: have Tom Brady. So, you know, there's only. Yeah, you, know, you guys are doing fine. That. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> fine.
1: Um. So, But you're a Tampa guy. So what was your experience like at USF when you are playing soccer?
0: It was good. You know, that was back in the days of the Big East, you know. Thoughts and, prayers, thoughts and prayers yeah. to the old Big East because that was such a fun conference. You know, we would travel all the time, like being the team in South Florida that was going up to the Northeast all the time was great for me because I love seeing family and, you know, it gave me a chance to see the country and see some pretty cool universities. Even that was back when Notre Dame was in the Big East with us. So we got to do a lot of pretty cool things there. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to make the Elite Eight. A co- we made the Elite Eight once. We won the Big East. And so I had a great all around experience. And for me, it was like the perfect distance from home and college because I could still pop in and get the laundry done or get that free meal. But then at the same time, like they ha- they always had to give me the heads up if they were coming my way. So for me, the experience was great. And that was even back when, I mean, if you can even remember this, a lot of people do, because I always see it popping up on timelines. When USF my freshman year was ranked number two in the country. So it was like, there was like a big football push there during my time there. And of course things have gone down since then. But so for me, it was a great experience all around. and. You know, I have no complaints about where I ended up at school. But like I said, had the transfer portal been a thing, I might have, you know, made a different what was, decision.
1: What was the name of that quarterback? Was it Matt Grothy? Matt Grothy, yeah. The number eight. 11? What was it like? Because he was like, I think he was around the same time or right on the heels of Tim Tebow. And everybody's like, this is Tim Tebow
0: 2.0. Yeah, it was It was pretty much the timeline synced up pretty well because Tebow, I think, had just gotten gotten done winning the Heisman and all that. And then, you know, little old South Florida had, Kind of a guy doing the similar things. We were, I mean, I remember playing Clemson and beating them handily. You know, we would go play NC State and we would win those games easily. And it was funny because my freshman year was the year that they kind of blew up, and not many people were on campus. It was it was a really big commuter school. But then after they got that football recognition, admissions ticked up. People living on campus, people like moving away, moving from other parts of the country to come to South Florida became a thing, which it never was before. So that year really put him on the map, and then. You know, I, I'll never forget the loss to away at Piscataway, New Jersey, away at Rutgers on a Thursday night after they reached number two in the country. Everything just kind of went downhill from there. But it was a fun little ride while we were on it. Something about
1: losing to Rutgers, even when Rutgers was good. something about losing to Rutgers. It's just like
0: I've been to I mean, I mean, I mean, no disrespect, but I've been to Piscataway and it's just so cold. And it's just there's just nothing going on out there. So when you lose, it's just everything just falls right on top of you right as right as the whistle blows. It's just like so depressing to lose up there.
1: You want to talk about depressing. I went to the Penn State, Illinois nine overtime loss this past season. Oh, my God. Not only was the game terrible, but then it's like rainy, it's cold. And it's just this game is wearing on and on and on.
0: Oh. I remember. I remember exactly what I was doing while I was watching that, and fielding multiple text messages, just getting bombarded with people saying, asking what's going on. It was. It was at the moment you're like oh this overtime thing's gonna be awesome like i love mm-hmm. this shootout style like let's let it rip and then five or six overtimes in when no one's scoring you're kind of like i'm not really confident in my team's ability anymore
1: <laughs> right oh my so i uh, i don't i don't bet very often but um I, my my buddy levy had kind of got me into it a little bit so like i I, th- I like to do it like in game once i can kind of feel where the score is going so by There's like the live first- bet i like the, yeah, the live bet. bet it's risky yeah. and it made it yeah. all the more interesting so I bet that um, I think forty points uh, was the over under, and uh, I bet that I think sometime in the third quarter. So then it hits overtime, and I forget exactly what the score was when it hit overtime. But the final was twenty to eighteen. So part of me is just like, how did we just lose to Illinois? And I'm like, oh, I just made some money, nice, you know. <laughs> but also like, I mean, we're in nine overtimes, and I'm like, wait, I might lose this bet, and we're gonna lose the game, you know. <laughs>
0: And it wasn't even – it was it was like that slow torture where it was – it wasn't like people were scoring nonstop. No, it was, no, like oh, it was excitement, awful. Excitement, excitement. It was like, oh, my God, pitiful, 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 pitiful. Yeah, that was yeah. something. That was quite the experience. When's the last
1: time you got to a Penn State game?
0: At, at Beaver Stadium, I guess. At Beaver Stadium. So in 2000 – man, I want to say it was 16 or 17. I went to go see them when they played Michigan. Mm. I forget I forget exactly what year it was but I went to an away game in Michigan my uncle has season tickets so I flew to his house in Virginia we went up did the RV so I got the full I got the full uh RV tailgate the whole weekend experience they ended up losing the game which was tough but I mean just kind of getting to hang out in the RVs and and do that whole scene was pretty fun
1: when you talk to people about being a Penn State fan I know I get the reaction of oh it's a cult you know, mm-hmm. people are insane when they're Penn State fans. I, I disagree. I think it's a very tight knit family. But how do you explain it to other people?
0: Well, I I would argue that that's just all of college football. You know, if you have a yep. passionate if you have a passionate fan base, which a lot of the you know the big programs, the programs that have been a long time, the programs that have a lot of history, you know, the best way that I describe it to people in my circles is, you know, it's kind of like the English Premier League in soccer things have been around for so long and there's just so much history and tradition that it becomes a way of your lifestyle it's not you know what i mean it's just bigger it's bigger than it's yeah. bigger than just watching football it's it's you know it's in your bloodline your family grew up around it and they passed down the tradition so when i try to explain it it's more that's just the culture of college football and this is the school and this is the team that i support i do think that you know the penn state fan base i'm a little bit removed so i hope nobody takes offense to this I do think that the Penn state fan base does have that sense of like, we should be undefeated every single year. And and that's, you know what I mean? And that's kind of tough when I'm around fellow Penn state fans, when, you know, you're complaining about being in the big, you know what I mean? Back when there were big games and it wasn't the college football playoff, but you're complaining about being in those those big bowl games where I kind of view it as we used to never be in those big bowl games, except for a couple of times every now and then we would randomly pop up. But now that they're consistently winning, I'm pretty happy. Of course, you want them to take the next leap. But at the same time, I think the gains have been you know, pretty impressive since I've been a fan.
1: You talk about a passionate fan base, and that's absolutely what it is. And I think there are Penn State fans who have a sense of entitlement. And then there's others who I think are a little more realistic and see what has happened the last handful of years and be like, OK, the expectations can be high, but just be realistic. I think that's really important. Um, and passionate fan bases is kind of what you're – business practices become all about. As I mentioned, you're the head of brand development at a, a T-shirt company, for lack of a better description, called Smack Apparel. And I'm very proud that uh, Paydirt and Smack Apparel are going to be partners here. Um, starting now, you can head to SmackApparel.com and use the promo code Paydirt at checkout to get 5% off your order. What makes Smack Apparel different than all these other T-shirt and apparel companies out there?
0: So we're very different in the fact that we're not licensed. So we've been doing this for 24 years, and you know, I'll tell you a funny, quick story of how it kind of got started. My my father-in-law started the business. He was a Florida State grad, and back in the days of Steve Spurrier dominance down in Florida, mm. he just made a shirt that said "Never met a man I didn't like," Will Rogers, and then on the back it just said "Will Rogers never met Steve Spurrier." <laughs> and he took it he took it to campuses he took it to the SEC schools he took it to Florida State and it just blew up people were laughing people were really finding it you know it was a unique twist on a college sports t-shirt and it really tapped into the emotions of fans and just people didn't like Steve Spurrier so it really you know it really resonated with a lot of people and then he took that business model and that idea and just kind of ran with it and he's been doing this and we've been doing this now for 24 years so for us it's about finding those things that really tap into the emotions of fan that tap into the emotions of fans really you know drive home the rivalries the hatred that these schools have for each other and just really try to connect with the people that are truly truly fans of a team and we put it on a shirt and we want people to enjoy wearing it you know for us it's fun whenever we wear these shirts to walk through tailgates and people pointing it out and smiling and you know finding some humor in it or You know, just trying to make it more of an interactive shirt than just your standard licensed shirt that's going to have your team name on it. Because for us, it's all about really trying to find ways to connect with the fans and trying to have some fun with the whole idea.
1: It's the thing I love about uh, about Smack is because as a Penn State fan, Penn State is naturally a very simple plain traditional aesthetic as a brand it's navy blue and white maybe some gray um you know just single stripe on the helmet you know no names on the back it's a very plain jersey etc and then every year i say this all the time is that penn state fans look for new merchandise whether it be from nike or under armor or something like that and the thing that gets penn state fans excited because penn state apparel can be so bland is font like, that's the height of the excitement. But you sent me a T-shirt that I think you have on right now. If you can angle your laptop to it, it says the worst. And it's got the state of Ohio. And it says the quotation the worst. And that was because recently Ohio State actually trademarked the word the because they like to call themselves the Ohio State University. You, you contacted me and you showed me this shirt. And I was like, hell yes, man. It was a great idea.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they are the worst, right? <laughs> they are
1: They're absolutely a pain in the butt because they win all the time and I'm sick of it.
0: Exactly. And that's, and those are the types of things we like to do. You know, we wait for topical moments or we see something pop up with a sports headline that, that, you know, we believe that fans are going to react to. And I mean, in a, in a world where Penn state's playing Ohio state and you're walking around happy Valley this year, if people are wearing this shirt, everyone's going to laugh at it. Everyone's going to be excited about it. And people are going to really be fired up about the idea and, you know, for us, it's all about trying to tap into those emotions of the fans. And when you play Ohio State, you know, everyone is like, oh, if we could just beat Ohio State, they're the worst. They're the worst. So for us, you know, when they trademark the word the, we're like, okay, how can we do this in a way that, you know, we're not going to get into trouble, but at the same time, kind of relays the messages that other fan bases are feeling about them. And that's just exactly what we're all about.
1: For anybody that's ever been to a Penn State football tailgate, you probably know that year to year, Penn State marketing students are actually given the task of trying to sell. Usually it's like beer koozies or something like that or drink koozies, whatever you want to call it. And the concept is to dance around licensing and to get around some of those issues. So I have talked to you about this before. I have a koozie. That has virtually the same thing. It's a block, you know, print of of the state of Ohio and it says worst state ever. And on the back, it's got Pennsylvania and that says best state ever. So seeing these things, it's not uncommon in marketing. You guys have gotten some flack for it in the past, but you guys have come up with some really creative ideas at the same time. Um, What is like the next step for you guys? You think it's smack, uh, you know, growing your brand.
0: You know, for us, we're trying to really get, get more of a presence on college campuses and just more of a presence kind of in the world of media a little bit. So, you know, for us, it's how do we get our shirts in front of people? Because the the licensing and, you know, with the way that Fanatics is set up now, everybody just buys from Fanatics. It's an easy, you know, you're going to buy a shirt. I, I'm guilty of it, too. I see, a clean yeah, I, see a, I see a clean Penn State shirt. I think it'll look good on me. I'm going to buy it. And it just says the school name and it's just very, you know, just a standard nice looking shirt. I'm going to buy it. And I think that a lot of people are that way. But for us, because we're not licensed and so many people are just going down the route of, oh, we can only buy licensed things because we don't want to risk anything or, you know, just kind of what goes with that. For us, we're trying to grow our presence on college campuses. And within the fan bases and within the circles, whether that's through social media, whether that's through finding ambassadors on campus and things like that, because we really believe that if you hold up our shirt, if you find any true sports fan, true sports fan, and you hold up our shirt next to a shirt that just says the team name, 10 times out of 10, you're going to choose our shirt. So for us, you know, we used to be really big in retail on campuses, but because of that direction, we got to find new unique ways to get our shirts in front of people. And, you know, using social media, using ambassadors on campus and things like that, and using, you know, platforms like you have and yourself and people that really believe in what we're doing is how we're going to be able to do that. And we're excited to kind of go down that path.
1: That's fantastic. Um, speaking of tailgating, what are some of your Penn State football tailgating memories?
0: Man, so, so I have, I've only had the chance because of, because of my, the way my seasons have been and my schedule. I've only been to Happy Valley twice for two games. Wow, and, we gotta and, get those numbers up, man. Seriously, uh, yeah. Listen, I retired, so the numbers are going way up. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no worries there. We're we're jacking those numbers up. But you know, it's funny. My first, as luck would have it, my first Penn State game was like the first game that Paterno wasn't the coach. So that was a very like that wow. was a very odd, you know, Great very number. like different experience. But to be honest, it was a way that I really found out what Penn State was all about, the community and like how people embraced each other and just kind of the culture that it is and like how much everybody truly truly loves it in Happy Valley and and the fans around it, the way that everybody came out and supported one another. It was a very unique experience for me because it was the first time that I really felt like, oh my gosh, this is like this is a community that truly truly loves each other. And to be honest, it almost made me fall in love with the whole thing more. Because I got to experience that for the first time, but then of course, like when I went with my uncle to the Michigan game, just just boozing late, just boozing, (laughs) just boozing, hitting the bars, hitting the scenes, and you know, drinking pretty much all night, waking up, getting after it again, cooking eggs in the morning, and then walking down to the, you know, walking down to the stadium, and and just checking out campus the whole time, just you know, saying hi to everybody and just throwing the football. And for those are the things that like, if I'm playing soccer during the season, I don't get to do. So, you know, just like just the simple fact of finding some friends and fans and throwing the pigskin with people in a parking lot while I'm drinking some beers. That was like, that was all I needed to be happy.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. That's just the fall for me in a nutshell. It's the the best. I try to make it to like one or two games a year and sometimes scheduling stuff comes up and it's just gotten, uh, it it gets more and more more expensive every year. Hotels are tough, especially in State College and the, frankly, the entire radius around State College, Pennsylvania just gets booked out in a heartbeat. So it's always fun to see. I love that on a Saturday, you know, during football season, State College is the third most populous city in Pennsylvania, like it just swells. It's so much fun. Um, And and now that, you know, you, you've retired from major league soccer, you're, you're, you're working on a lot of different things. Like you were on Paul Feinbaum show on ESPN very recently. Um, You did some coverage on the NHL network as well in the lead up to um, the, the Stanley cup final this past year. Um, How have these opportunities kind of materialized for you?
0: I did a really good job when I was playing, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of shy away from the media but I always kind of took the approach that, you know, this is an opportunity that if, if somebody asked you to do something or if you could do a favor for somebody, it's a good opportunity to to connect with people. And I always did a good job of, you know, throughout my playing career, doing the best I could to connect with people. And if people wanted something from me, I was very, you know what I mean? I was somebody that would always say yes, because I graduated in communications and I always wanted to kind of perfect what I was going to do after and I always felt like having the opportunity to have a microphone in your face was a good chance for me to continue to grow and build, so that when I was going to retire, I could do different things and feel comfortable doing those types of things. So with the NHL, I I knew one of the reporters really well. We had we had kind of a relationship, and again, you know, our shirts are a good conversation icebreaker because they're funny and people really dig them if you're fans. So she she mentioned about going on wearing a shirt talking about Tampa. So. That's how that opportunity popped up. And when, and the Paul Feinbaum show was cool because kind of a similar thing, I sent him a shirt. I sent him, I sent him the worst, a picture of the worst shirt, uh, yeah. somebody that I had connected with down when they were here at the, um, SEC basketball tournament. Cause we had a really funny Auburn shirt. It was a uh, Bruce Pearl mocking, mocking Alabama, doing the crane running around the court. <laughs> so when the SEC tournament was here, we just had a, we just had so much fun going out there and, you know, trying to, trying to sell that shirt when the SEC tournament was here in Tampa. But during that process Paul Feinbaum was down here and then I connected w- with one of their producers who was a big MLS fan and you know we kind of spitballed the idea back and forth about talking about rivalry gear so you know through through connections through the shirts and you know just kind of I love talking about all things sports so these opportunities have been popping up and you know fortunately for me when I was in my playing career I had a little bit of mindset to look towards the future and you know it's been kind of cool getting the opportunities that I have
1: um, I'm thinking of all the things that you guys have been able to capitalize on and especially the ridiculous amount of headlines during the off season for college football in terms of like Saban and uh, Jimbo going at each other. Alabama and Texas A&M is going to be a crazy game this year. I can't wait for that. Brian Kelly all of a sudden developing a Louisiana accent like there's so <laughs> many things and then especially with conference realignment has popped up and you know, we talked about it before in terms of RIP the Big East and it seems like R.I.P. the Big Twelve, R.I.P. the Pac-12. Like, as a fan, is this like kind of unidentifiable to you at this point? What college footballs turn into?
0: A little bit, but I think the writing was kind of on the wall, right? So, so once once Texas and Oklahoma made the jump, it was yes. kind of like, all right, that's the domino. So now people are going to be jumping ship, and the hard part for us is, I hope that through all this realignment, you don't lose those those rivalry games that have meant so much for fans. And of course, that's something that's going to happen. But there is so much history and rivalries and things like that and so many different things that we play into with what we do that as new rivalries are created, we'll be able to come up with new stuff. But so much of our stuff that we do is history and and, you know, it's... It's just a different landscape. I think at the end of the day, the whole NIL and the whole money thing—it's—it's going to change the landscape of college sports. But I've been seeing this a lot, and it's the total truth. It's—I'm not going to stop watching on Saturdays, no matter what happens, because that's how I spend my Saturdays, and I love watching football on Saturdays. Man. And it's not going to change what we do because every there's always, like you said, right? Just this offseason, there's been about ten headlines that you know I've stayed in the news cycle that we spoke about this off air, but. You know, you got the quarterback of the Jets.
1: Oh, Zach Wilson. Zach oh, Wilson. God, is the story about his mom's mom the shirt. Hit, was it his mom's best
0: friend? Yeah, you got him. Is that the story? Okay. Rumors coming out that it, he's, you know, he's getting with his mom's best friend and then we come up allegedly, with mom's mom we'll, we'll we'll shirt. We'll
1: protect him allegedly, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, you know, the, the new cycle for sports never really stops. So for us, that's a, great, that's a great thing. But at the same time, I'm going to miss some of these old rivalries if they end up going away.
1: Yeah, like I, I, would be hopeful personally. Like uh, Penn State and Pitt, I would love to see that be something that's maybe within the Big Ten. Um, West Virginia, one, once upon a time, had a rivalry with, uh, with Penn State, so I'd love to see something like that. There's rumors of like Notre Dame potentially not being to really, uh, not being able to be independent for much longer, and that like they would be out in the cold to a degree. Not granted they have their NBC deal, but them potentially in the Big Ten, there's a lot of interesting options that I think when you and I were younger it was all geographical and it was all like, there were actually 12 teams in the, in the big 12 and 10 in the big 10. And now none of it matters. It's just the brand of the conference is
0: King. It's so weird. It's going to be interesting. I'm very interested to see what the big 12 does because they have like the central States on lock. Yes. And now they've, they've branched out to the Southeast. They have UCF. They've expanded that way. They're up in Ohio. And mm-hmm. now they're, and now if they're able to absorb some PAC 12 teams, they're going to go out West too. So, in an odd way, the big 12 is lining themselves up where they have coverage throughout the entire country. If they're able to get some of these pack 12 teams, which when all this realignment started, it was like, Oh, the pack, the big 12 is dead. They're yeah. going to die. Like everyone go pluck their teams cause it's over, but it really looks like they might en- end up being the third conference with the most power, which I don't think any, I don't think many people saw coming.
1: No. And they just broke off talks with uh, the Pac 12. Apparently they were trying to come to some sort of alliance and the uh... I think what was it during the regular season uh, this past season was it the Big Ten, the, the I think the Big Twelve and the ACC, or maybe it was the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac twelve try to form some sort of unwritten alliance. Do I have
0: that right? They called it that too. They were like, "We are the alliance." <laughs> and then, right. then, I have flashbacks really- for like
1: WWE versus WCW and ECW, and I'm like, "Okay, cool, man," you know.
0: It was everybody except the SEC, and then the Big Ten just Trojan-horsed them and went in and blocked a couple of teams and got out.
1: <laughs> but it's become about TV markets. To your point, like you can capitalize on, like for instance, if they have the the center of the United States, and then say they went to the Southwest, it's just not as big of a TV market. Maybe if you go grab Arizona and Arizona State, yeah, and then had UCLA and USC still been there. But now it seems that the Big Ten is like, we're going to capitalize on all the big cities and TV markets And the SEC is just galvanizing whole states at a time. Uh, There's rumors that UNC could jump from the ACC. And I think um, Miami and Florida State make a ton of sense to the SEC. Clemson makes a ton of sense. I mean, there's too many of these opportunities where it's like, well, yeah, you might as well grab the rivalry as a whole. As you you said, Texas and Oklahoma, it's a no-brainer.
0: Right. You just get them as a package deal. I was reading something because I spent a lot of time out West, right? I was in... I was in Utah for four years and then I spent the last five years out in Oregon. And I was reading something where states are trying to mandate that you can't take one without the other, or they're trying to make it so that you have to be a package deal. So it's Uh, like, all right. So if you imagine in a world where Oregon, right? And no disrespect to Oregon State, Corvallis is an awesome city. If you've ever been there, it's like, they call it Corvegas. It's a good time. But if you're Oregon and you have this huge program, and then they mandate a law that you can't go without Oregon State, your rival, and right. that ends up being the you know the downfall of whatever conference you're trying to join. Could you imagine that type of hatred and a rivalry where it's like, I know. hey, we can't go, a lot because, of money, yeah, right? We can't go because little brother can't get the invite, and now so it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And you know, I think that the the fun part will be this next three or four year window where these schools that are outspoken about leaving are still playing in those conferences so then you know for us the hatred of those schools is only just skyrocketed so it's a you know it's a it's a real hatred I think with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 these Big 12 teams hate them a little bit more and you know, for us, that's good stuff because we could just tap into that.
1: Yeah, like I hope we still get to see uh like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I really enjoy that rivalry. And frankly, both teams have continued to be good. To your point, Oregon State has dropped off so much uh in the last five to ten years that it's unfortunate. And frankly, the money in Nike behind Oregon, not to say that they're not behind Oregon State, but Oregon is their their mantelpiece, so to speak. Uh, and then the same with Under Armour and Maryland is that now you've got to be thinking about the companies and the networks that are behind these schools, not, no, not necessarily like, oh, how are they doing on the field? It's weird.
0: Yeah, it's a totally different. I mean, it's a, just a totally different ball game. but it's, it's cool. I mean, I went to a game out in Oregon that was on my bucket list when I knew I was retiring. I was like, I have to go to a game. I can't sure. to go to a game and it was a cool environment like i know that the out west gets a lot of flack for not being like the big 10 or or the sec and to be honest i was pretty impressed with the environment the stadium just kind of the whole setup so i do think there are certain schools out west that would do really well in these conferences and i hope man i would love to see like an oregon play michigan oregon play penn state like mm. i would love to see that why not like i think that these yeah. types of games are are good for college football and you know if it's even possible viewership will be even higher But at the same time, you're losing traditions and things like that, which is a big part of college
1: football. Yeah, like Pac-12 versus Big Ten used to be something called the Rose Bowl, and that was really special because it was once a year. And now that's even died out just because – a bowl games aren't necessarily as important as they used to be. Unfortunately, I think the Rose Bowl is still extraordinarily special. But you've got all these different schools that, oh well, they're in this college football playoff, so we can't use a Big Ten team, for instance. So they just inject somebody from the ACC, and it's like, okay, well, we lost that core value. So I agree with you. Having USC, UCLA, even in Oregon, would be really cool just for some of those matchups. But
0: um, that's right, man in- when they when when these bowl games lost like complete relevance, really. That's when I was yeah. like, oh, college football has changed forever. And I don't yeah. know. That's that, that one hurt because I love watching those big bowl games. And it really felt like if you were able to win, it actually meant something. But now if you're not in the college playoff, it almost feels like, oh, you're just doing this for, you know, guys are opting out, which I don't blame them. You know, yeah. I, I completely understand that. But back in the day, you know, I sound like an old timer, but it used to be you would never opt out for something like that for a chance to win that type of bowl game. So that part of that part of college football going away hurts a little bit.
1: Yeah. And now that there's NIL benefits and guys can make some money, you know, I always look at it as remember um, Michigan tight end, Jake, Butt. oh, yeah, um, he oh, was yeah, excellent. And he had a chance to go to the NFL early. He decided to stay. He gets hurt in his senior season, like major injury does wind up in the National Football League, but obviously drops a significant amount of rounds, which ultimately cost him a lot of money. And, uh, you know, he still had a lot of injury issues to this day. So who's to say that had he gone early that he would have been able to have a better career, make more money or be healthier? Who knows? But no pun intended, is that you you've got these options now with NIL that the peak three, four five years of your life, potentially, if you're a college football star and that's all you amount to as an athlete, nothing wrong with that. Why not make money off of that? What if, if your career had just been USF? Wouldn't you have wanted to have profited off of that?
0: Yeah, of course. And I, it's funny because now I have a son; he's two. Like we don't know what he, what we're going to do with him. Of course, right? But I keep him. Yeah. But it, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to get rid of him. But <laughs> if we, I always tell myself now, I'm like, you just have to have your kid be really good at high school sports, and and the landscape for you know, if you're a four star recruit and you're good with your money and people are willing to pay you significant amount of money to go to school, that's all you need to accomplish, right? Like you could set up the rest of your life just by doing that. And the opportunities out there, I mean, there are so many more D1 schools that will pay you money as a good recruit than there are NFL teams. Like there's only 32 NFL teams. So look at the college landscape and you can make a lot of money if you're good at high school. So it's an interesting, you know, what's the message going to be? Are you going to lose a lot of players that would have been professionals, would have been really good professionals. And they say, oh, I'm good. Like, I made my money in college. Like, I don't need to go play professional. I don't need to go throw my body around anymore. And at the same time, it's kind of like one of the questions I have with this NIL, kind of redirecting it a little bit back to the Jake Butt conversation. If I'm, sign- if I'm paying these kids to, to play, I'm-, I'm curious to get my hands on one of those contracts. Is it like you have to play in the bowl game no matter what it is in mm-hmm. order to get this money? Or, you know what I mean yeah. like what's the structure gonna be like and that's as this continues to grow that's what I'm interested in seeing is how is it going to evolve in terms of the contract structure because it's gonna it ha- people have to get smarter the way that they're paying these kids because they can't you know you can't pay a kid eight million dollars and have it be a complete flop like so how are you gonna start structuring these yeah. deals so that it actually makes sense from a business perspective? And those are the types of things I'm pretty interested in finding out like as this evolves, because things have to change. There's no way that paying somebody $10 million as a complete unknown is going to be a good business model going forward. And allegedly, that's what a
1: backer for the University of Miami did this year, paid a quarterback recruit $9.5 million to come play for the Hurricanes. And God knows what Texas A&M has been shelling out. That's been you know alleged as well. So I always come back to and I've harped on it on this show. If you're a student athlete, would you rather get just pay for play or maybe an incentive-based deal, as you said, or would you rather on your off day have to go to a car dealership and make an appearance because you're Jeff Attanella of USF Soccer? Hi, I support Hyundai or something like that. You know, like there's earning it in multiple ways, but one seems... One seems like it's more complementary to what you're already doing is the the other just seems like it's adding to what is already a very difficult schedule for the average student athlete.
0: See, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of the hustle. Like I like I like the idea of making some people hustle a little bit and making some college kids hustle because I think that's a valuable lesson too. Mm. It's how do you prioritize your time? And you know, if you gotta go sign autographs for two hours and get, you know, broken off a free car, that's not the worst. You know what I mean? That's not the worst thing that you could possibly be doing with your time. So I'm interested to see like how it evolves and and you know. But that being said, nobody's paying soccer play college soccer players millions of dollars to do anything. someday,
1: someday. Yeah, I'm speaking. I'm speaking
0: from a place of hypotheticals and not really something that I'll ever. You know, I don't think would ever cross into my world.
1: It's it's crazy because I I would love to see players make more money and there's going to be the haves and have-nots and that like uh, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State uh, starting quarterback for the Buckeyes is getting paid a fair amount of money and he's got a free car and all that stuff and then yeah if you're not as well known of a player you're probably as you said going to have to hustle and earn it so does that create division in the locker room potentially is there a division within the team or the coaching staff say you're say you of the coaching staff and you don't make as much as a kid who's like just playing and maybe he's not even a
0: starter. That's professionals. I mean, it's, it's, that's what happens in the pros. It's funny because I was going down, we're looking at different ways to do fun advertising and marketing and things like that. So I was going through cameo and just kind of seeing, you know, yeah, yeah. What, who's on there. And it's cool. Like Sean or Sean Clifford, his cameo is set up where if you do a cameo with him, it it already says he's donating all of his money to a charity. So it's like all the money that he makes through cameo he's donating to a charity. And there, there have been a lot of really cool stories about guys that, you know, X amount of dollars I'm giving to my O-line, X amount of dollars I'm giving to this charity. And I think that's a, I mean, that's a very, for a college kid to be doing that, that's a really cool thing to be doing. And that's a good use of NIL. And, you know, of course you want to put money aside for yourself, but just seeing that yesterday, it was, it was pretty cool to see that he's doing that. And I thought that was like a good use of, you know, the ability to make money.
1: And a lot of credit to Sean Clifford. We recently had uh, Aeneas Hawkins on the podcast to talk about Penn State football and NIL. And um, Hawkins uh, is a part of Sean Clifford's NIL agency called Limitless NIL, which was making headlines on ESPN because you had not seen a player, an active college football player, active athlete, start their own agency to capitalize on NIL. So I thought it was a really smart move there altogether. Um, Let's talk about Penn State football presently we mentioned recruiting james franklin is heralded as this brilliant recruiter however you're not exactly seeing the dividends paid out uh, over the last few season in terms of these brilliant recruiting classes what do you think of the job that james franklin is doing right now
0: it's it's good i think he's doing a good job oh, good i not- really
1: believed you there yeah
0: <laughs> good good not great it's it's You know, I think that, and I have this—I have this theory in college football in general that, as the head coach, as the as the front man of a program, you have to be a certain a certain way. You have to carry yourself a certain way. You have to be great at recruiting, and you have to be a good morale locker room builder. But you have to surround yourself with some of the best uh, coordinators that you could possibly find. Mm -hmm. And you know, not to compare them at all because they're not comparable. But you look at a guy like Nick Saban. Mm. He's constantly surrounding himself with some of the best coordinators that you could possibly imagine. So for me, I love Franklin as a recruiter and he does a great job of getting people into the building that I don't think we would have been able to get before and for that I think he is so valuable and if if we were to lose that, I think that that would, you know, that could be a big a big thing for Penn State, but at the same time his ability to get that talent that he's getting and getting the most out of them that's where I kind of start doubting his abilities a little bit. And it's, you know, there are moments and there have been times where it's like, man, like if you could have just packaged this whole thing together the right way, like we had a team that was capable of making the playoffs. There was a team that was capable of winning the whole thing. And I don't know if he's able to get us over that hump, but I'm hopeful that he's able to get re- get coordinators on board that can kind of put the systems in place to utilize the talent that we have. So that's my roundabout answer. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I, I hear you, and I, I feel optimistic about Mike Yuricich as the offensive coordinator. I'm excited to see what Manny Diaz does as the new defensive coordinator. We're going to miss Brent Pry, but Manny Diaz, I think, is a really good pedigree, a former head coach at the University of Miami. Um, that being said, how do you think the 2022 season is going to go for Penn State?
0: I'm super optimistic. I mean, every time I'll say, I mean, I think we're going to go undefeated. But that's what I say every year. That's so I you. got the preseason. <laughs> I got the preseason optimism. I do love that Sean Clifford's coming back. It's uh, you know, we're not going to get to see who we have on the depth a little bit, but everyone remembers man, a healthy Sean Clifford had Penn State legitimately looking like one of the best teams in the country and you know, him getting injured at Iowa. There's just no way they lose that Iowa game if Clifford is healthy. And and that was right. like kind of that moment in the season where things started to go a little bit south for us. So if he can stay healthy, I'm assuming that we have I don't know the depth chart as well as a lot of people, but I'm assuming that we have unlimited weapons at wideout because we always have weapons at wideout now, which is another thing that Franklin has done well. And I'm assuming that, you know, we're going to be loaded in terms of defense because we kind of have a tradition of, you know, reloading the defense every time. So I'm hopeful, you know, probably go undefeated. I don't know about national titles, but (laughs) at least, you know, go undefeated, win the Big Ten, make the playoff, probably something like that.
1: That's very nice of you to say. I, I, I want to be as optimistic as possible. However, I am a cynical realist, and uh, I, I don't know. I'm very I'm hopeful that everything goes as well as possible. I hope Sean stays healthy because I agree with you. from September and into the first, what was it 20 some odd minutes of the game against uh, uh, against Iowa? He looked great. Penn State looked great. That defense was excellent and they seem to be rocking and rolling. Uh, They do need to get better along the offensive line, and that remains to be seen whether or not they actually did in terms of some recruiting efforts, guys coming back from injury. Uh, You're absolutely right in terms of uh, receivers. Uh, Parker Washington is going to step up right where Jahan Dotson left off, in my opinion they got Mitchell Tinsley, who's a transfer from Western Kentucky University. He's opened a lot of eyes. Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, Malik Mega, the tight end room, uh, three dudes who are just absolute freaks out there that I'm really excited to see how they do. So the defense, I think they sent a bunch of guys to the NFL, so it could be not exactly what we saw last season, but with Manny Diaz,
0: it sounds like they're going to be blitz happy. So
1: I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I appreciate yeah, that's what that.
0: I love. But that's the cool thing about Franklin now. It's, you know, you know, and that's the credit that I have to give him. You know that there's talent. There is talent in the building, and you're not lacking talent at any position. So can we get the most out of that talent? That's a big question. But, you know, Penn State, when I was growing up, if you lost a guy that went in the first round, it would mm. take years to recover from that. And you wouldn't be able to find another guy for a long time that could fill that role. But now it's, you know, next guy up, he'll probably be an NFL, he'll probably be drafted in the NFL too. And, you know, it just kind of seems like the four or four, four star, five star guys are just rolling in year after year, which, you know, it hasn't always been the case at Penn State.
1: True. Fingers crossed for 2022. Uh, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I want to thank Smack Apparel, especially for being the new sponsors of Paydirt, a Penn State football show. So uh, you guys can check out the information in the description of this podcast. But again, head to SmackApparel.com and type in the promo code dirt at checkout and you'll get five percent off your order get yourself one of the worst t-shirts because ohio state is the worst uh, big game against the buckeyes this year of course so uh jeff thank you for coming on thank you for sponsoring the show
0: yeah of course man love it thanks for having me
1: thank you for listening to believe